This episode contains discussion of racism and racist stereotypes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of 2024. I am Joseph, he, him. I am joined today by Lou Pavic, she, him, and Jasmine Tinsley, she, her. And today, we are going to talk about Greek life, and also about court-appointed special advocates and guardian ad litem, uh, shortened to Casa Gal. Um, Lou is the Chief External Affairs Officer of Kappa Alpha Theta at Stetson. She is a Psychology and Human Resources Management major with a minor in Management. Jasmine is a history major at Stetson and will most likely become president of the United States. She returns to the pod after being on the episode about Black History Month. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. I'm very excited to be here for my first time. Thank you for having me again, Joseph. As always, I'm excited to be here, especially with Lou. Love her to pieces. I love you too, Jasmine. Oh my goodness, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> All right, let's let's get after it. Um, so, um, if you could, we we already talked about this in one of the episodes of the podcast. We already talked about the incident. Um, but since it's been a while, um, can we just get like a kind of a recap? Of what all is and of all, what all has transpired since then, Jasmine, you can go ahead and talk about it. I can kind of talk more about like what's transpired since. I guess like kind of after the Zoom incident happened, I made a video because I was very frustrated, um, and I posted it to my Instagram, and I didn't really expect it to do anything, um, and. Next thing you know, it got like shared everywhere. And then I got an email from um, someone from the best team about it. And I ended up having a meeting with her and I was like, hey, this is a problem. How did this happen? What are we doing? Like, what are the next steps kind of conversation? Um, and some of the stuff I couldn't know because of confidentiality. <laughs> um, and as far as I knew, someone from like community standards was waiting for all the zoom transcripts i don't know what happened with that if anything happened with that at all i'm not really sure um i had a conversation with someone from the best team and i had a conversation with renee as well um just about like what are some things we can do i offered up some suggestions on things we could do like having a panel whether it be with someone i suggested someone not outside of that's in Greek life because of how things went from the Zoom. I was like, maybe we should do like a panel with just Greek life itself and just have like a different conversation um, centered around the same topic, but just in a different format. Um, we They had the Divine Nine panel, but after that, I don't know if there are like any other programming that's supposed to be taking place. I haven't heard anything from the person I talked to from the best team. I sent like a follow-up email, but I haven't received a response in like three weeks. Um, there was kind of something else that I brought up, like even within Theta itself about including the Sigmas more, because I know that was something that they expressed their concern about. They didn't feel included in the rest of the Greek life community. And um, they talked about how they've tried to be included and they've tried to kind of extend that warm, friendly hand of, hey, we're here, include us, but it wasn't really happening. So I made a suggestion on one of our committees to include them. And I know that there was another like philanthropy week for another sorority and they did like their best man kind of like pageant situation. And I noticed that the Sigmas weren't there. It was kind of like an odd thing. I was literally sitting at a restaurant like scrolling through Instagram. And I saw everyone's videos and I was like, something's missing. <laughs> um, so I was really curious. I didn't want to go about it the wrong way. So I just texted Renee. I was like, hey, I have a question. Please tell me you have an answer. If you don't have an answer, that's okay. But I just want to make sure that we're trying to include Sigmas because they are here. 
They're the only Divine Nine chapter on this campus now. And I don't want to see them disappear because they're not being included. Um, that's kind of like all the updates I am actually aware of. I don't know if there's gonna be like further programming or further conversations to kind of open the door and facilitate more unity amongst the Greek community. So that's all I have. So coming in from my perspective, so I am Kappa Alpha Theta's uh, representative at the Greek presidents meetings that we used to have every Thursday, but now they're kind of like every other, every other Thursday, um, whenever we're all available. And we had a meeting yesterday about how to really implement diversity, equity, and inclusion into Stetson's campus. And they're not just talking to us, but they're talking to LSA and other different organizations on campus about this. And um, something that was some important things that we were kind of talking about um, were like, well, they were all transpired from this one event, right? And we want to keep make sure that we actually learn from this event rather than just kind of be like, oh, we're so sorry it happened and then we don't change anything, right? So we were kind of talking about if we are gonna have a conversation like that again, limiting the group sizes maybe to IFC and Panhellenic, um, keeping a control on the chat, I think personally to disable the chat uh, because like a lot of the, like it is important to foster healthy conversation about these topics because they can be hard to talk about and we need to educate ourselves on them. But at the same time, when you're literally putting a raccoon um, recipe into the chat, like, you know, that's not doing anything. Like you can raise your hand and make your comments if you need. Um, and there is, so in order to provide solutions to diversity, equity, and inclusion so far, so far we've kind of talked about possibly having a certain number of culture credits devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion with um, like four needed throughout your Stetson career with at least one per year. Um, there was um, something about making it harder for culture credits to be approved, especially for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So people take culture credit more seriously and they like actually learn something from it. Um, additionally, something that was mentioned was, I mentioned this was actually, you know, like the values credits that we have to take throughout Stetson, um, putting like an element of diversity, equity, and inclusion into every values course that stu Stetson students take to have like even more exposure to it. Um, not only that, but to go on the positives of, you know, diversity, equity, like showing uh, different cultures. Um, and I said, well, in order to have more of those positive experiences with cultures, you need to market them better because, you know, we market not to, you know, diss on any very big organizations on this campus, but there is definitely some organizations that are more marketed than others. And a lot of those other organizations that aren't marketed as much tend to be the culture um, places and it's really sad and they need more attention and with more attention, they're gonna get more people to come. So we talked about that, but there's also a thing with um, mandating is that like, oh, everyone's gonna be there if like you're mandating unless like you have a class or something. But there's also an element of, well, you need to like actually want to learn about this because diversity, equity and inclusion is gonna be a part of our lives regardless of, you know, this, culture credit or not. You're gonna go into the workforce, you're gonna work with a diversity of people. Like if you are so upset about learning about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's a you problem. And you need to like look at yourself and fix that about yourself because there's some inner biases in there. Um, but it's just, we just want to appreciate diversity because it's not just like, different groups of people shouldn't just be like groups of people that we just learn about you know in class and stuff like they're actual people that like you know exist and can be our friends and stuff um and i know cap alpha theta has going has been going out of their way to like reach out to them for socials i know our philanthropy co-chairs have been reaching out to them to talk at their chapters about our philanthropy events because they deserve to be included um they're people they're super cool people they're so sweet and I think um just kind of 
like Jasmine said, just including them and um, making sure that we, you know, do something. Because a thing that kind of bothered me um, about Renee's response, I love Renee with all my heart, but something that kind of irked me a little bit was she was like, oh, you students are so proactive. And like, you guys, like, you know, the way that you guys have been reacting to this, like, good on you for being so reactive when this shouldn't have been a problem in the first place. It should have been the adults that should have been held more accountable on including trigger warnings, on making sure that appropriate content was being shown, or if there was something that was going to be triggering, letting people know ahead of time like it's not enough just to you know boost our egos like you you gotta work on yourself first yeah um I that was like one of my main concerns I like obviously saw the email and I absolutely adore Renee and I saw the email and I was like here we go here's another blanket email again (laughs) um and I was like okay why was it their knowledge about what topics are going to be discussed like why were we not giving a fair warning about this? And from what I understand, um, Renee and the speaker, I guess, are long-term friends. So I guess there was like that sense of comfortability to not vet it. And I was like, okay, glad you guys are friends, but always double check what is going to be presented to everyone in Greek life, especially if they're gonna be very sensitive conversations and sensitive topics. Um, I know another issue was just kind of how like the speaker glazed over certain things and that made a lot of people very uncomfortable. And I was sitting there and I was like, wow, he really just glazed over these topics as if they were nothing. Um, I made a suggestion in my conversations with, um, with Renee and the person from the best team. I was like, okay, I don't have that much power Obviously, this is not something I can do, but I was like, I think that if you're going to be on exec, like for your fraternity or for your sorority, I personally think you need to go through DEI training um, because I don't think that it's fair for you to serve on exec and you don't care about these issues. I had a conversation with one of my friends after the Zoom incident happened, and he said that he brought it up to his exec to have like a DEI event or um, a speaker come and talk to them about diversity, equity, inclusion, just some their chapter. And two of their exec members said no, said they would not come to the event, that it was something they weren't interested in. And I was like, they're on exec. Like, you guys are representing your chapter and you don't care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you want people to go through recruitment, pay money to be in your organization, but you don't care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know that that's something I obviously can't change because I'm not in their chapters and I don't have that kind of power, but I, I think there needs to be some type of training if you're gonna sit in a position of in a position of exec. No, and that's interesting that you mentioned that, Jasmine, because um being in those Greek presidents meetings, you find out that the presidents themselves, you know, like the leadership summits that you can do at Stetson they do have a program for them on Blackboard that they do as chapter president that they have to kind of fill out. And, but the thing is like, I don't know, it's only a resource given to them and it's, they're really not well encouraged. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, you should totally kind of like just share this with the chapter. But honestly, it feels very more of just like, it feels like busy work, like how it's administered. It's just like, another video to kind of look at and like you answer four questions on a quiz and like you're done. Um, It feels very impersonal. It's because the thing about diversity, equity, inclusion that I think is super important is that you just can't learn about it in like a book or a lecture setting. You have to learn about it in an experiential setting. And I made that very clear yesterday. Sorry, Um, had to take off a hair from my computer. (laughs) Um, I think it's just important to have like the experience and stuff because um, you know, you should, you're always going to be with the diversity of people. Like it's not enough just to learn about it in a classroom setting. Like you shouldn't boil down an entire race, ethnicity, gender, or sexuality to a class where you learn about them. Like they're not, I don't know. There's just something like, kind of like, you're just kind of limiting their 
identity, I guess, to like a classroom session or something you learn about in school. And I don't think that's like the right way to do it. And I think more of an interaction with the stigmas, um, with the divine nine and with diverse um, organizations, I think that's gonna do more to train people and to get people really appreciating and understanding that diversity, equity, inclusion. Because right now, like those lessons and stuff, like the presidents have that information, but they're it's probably just in one year and out the other because it's just one of the many things that they have to do because we know about busy culture. Like we kind of just kind of do a lot of things, you know, get it done, get it out of the way. And we move on to one of the other million things on our task list. And um, I think it's important to not just view this as just another thing to do or just another like training thing, but rather, you know, a part of life that you just value. And um, also, I think it's important to have more of that training available to all of exec rather than just to the presidents, you know, because and make it very clear um, for all of the exec members that they all have a part in diversity, equity and inclusion. I want to go back to uh, I want to go back to Jasmine's point about um, how like no one really double checked the information in the presentation. I'm like, I'm sorry, but didn't someone somewhere send you a PowerPoint or whatever? Like, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have hurt you to look at the PowerPoint and like just go over it and be like, okay, good. Dude, I can bring up my notes from that president's meeting when we were first introduced to the speaker, and all we were told was it was about stereotypes in Greek life. That was all we were told. We didn't hear anything about, we really didn't hear anything about like race even, or like um, even some of the, the depictions that they were gonna show in the presentation and stuff. We were just told that it was gonna be about Greek stereotypes by a dude who, um, tells us to us honestly is like and is funny and like it's just like yeah sure um okay and yeah I just wish we would have even the presidents weren't even told anything and it's just really sad to even see from like exec it it was already starting there the misinformation not saying everything yeah I oh gosh yeah I mean when he even like introduced himself I was like okay we're talking about Greek stereotypes and we're going to make it a comedy show. And in my mind, I was, as he like kind of got into the presentation, I was like, as much as, you know, people want to make this a humorous thing, like it's not because people are getting hurt, whether it's physically, emotionally, or mentally by what they may experience within Greek life. And I've, I didn't even put this together and I felt so bad, especially because I knew that there were new members there. And this was like their first intro to, okay, hi, welcome to Greek Life. Let me just throw all this out here at you, give you no warning. Like, it was just so shocking. Like I know a couple people ended up leaving the presentation. They couldn't sit through the whole thing because it was like, how did, no, how did this happen? How did no one think to say, okay, let me see what you're gonna be presenting first. Like, let's give full disclosure. Full, a full disclaimer on what we're actually going to be talking about um and then after it happens and people put in their very insensitive comments in the chat I saw that they were kicking people out but they were still coming back in so I thought that maybe at some point during the presentation it would be like a hey let me address these comments real quick or let me just say this don't put these types of comments in the chat if this is the type of comments you're going to put you need to leave or kick them out, don't let them get back in. But it was just like a, oh, it was, it wasn't even addressed at the very end. Like after he finished his presentation, there was like maybe two sentences said about the comments and that was it. And I was just like, really? That's it? This is all we're gonna say after you've, you guys have completely scarred everyone in this conversation. Like there's nothing else gonna be said. No one's gonna address the comments. For all I know, the people who made the comments nothing probably happened to them if i'm being completely honest like it's i really hate to say it but stetson is just not very good at accountability when it comes to these kinds of things something will happen and they'll say oh yeah we're gonna do something about it but you can't know it's confidential but it's like them hurting people or hurting people's feelings and being racist wasn't confidential so why is their punishment confidential i'm confused <laughs> 
Yeah, and I agree with you right there, Jasmine. And I think um, something to know is I feel like Stetson not only doesn't like taking accountability, but it is super avoidant in dealing with its problems and trying to sweep it under the rug as soon as possible. Like the email was sent to like people in Greek life and stuff. And then like people outside of Greek life had to ask like, what happened? And I think that's just very shady. And, you know, if Stetson is trying to go into, you know, this whole thing of like, oh my God, like what can we do to support diversity, equity, inclusion, transparency. Transparency is so important. I remember the summer, even before this year, you know, when COVID was like huge, um, it was just, um, there was several like Instagram accounts going around kind of talking about like some stuff that's gone down at Stetson and like being transparent and like really trying to make people aware of this. And I think that's just important to like be aware of your history because how are you going to improve if you don't understand where you're coming from and you don't make the same mistakes again in the future? Because like, yes, it's uncomfortable to like talk about it. And I don't expect you to be, be like, yeah, we have a racist history at like recruitment events. I don't expect you to be that. However, I still expect you to acknowledge it apologize profusely for it and then think okay well what can we do to do this and I think right now they're kind of like I said earlier they're just talking to some groups thinking about like ways to mandate things about diversity equity and inclusion um, which I think is good hopefully they'll actually do something about it um, it sucks you know Jasmine a phrase that you said earlier was like I know I don't have a lot of power in this and I think that's really sad that a lot of Stetson students feel that way because, you know, we're told that we're these great leaders and we are, we have to dare to be significant. That's such a huge thing that Stetson loves to do. And they love, you know, sucking every single little leadership opportunity um, for students and stuff and leadership development. But at the same time, it's just like, we just need to hold them accountable. It's too much. Yeah, I... Stetson's just very like I really wish that they would just start holding people accountable because at the end of the day Stetson does have a good chunk of minorities on this campus and you know you do your tours convince people to come here and spend money and pay a lot of money for tuition to get an education here but how much is that education worth if the entire four years they were here it wasn't comfortable for them or every experience they've had on this campus just went completely swept under the rug. And um, someone else, she actually used to live with me um, last semester when the Zoom incident happened like a couple of days after she sent me a message and asked me like what happened. And I explained to her what happened and I was giving her some examples of what was said. And she was just like, I mean, what's the big deal? And I was like, what? I'm confused. What do you mean? What's the big deal? Do you not see the problem? Or someone else was like, well, this is just so uncomfortable. And I always tell people, well, if you're comfortable with what's happening, then that's a problem. You should be uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable because it's not normal. Like it shouldn't be happening. And unfortunately, we still live in a society where a lot of people do think the behavior that they exhibit and the things that they say that are harmful to people are normal. Um, I'm really hoping that it does get better. Like I'm not gonna be here after this semester, so I don't know what's gonna happen afterwards, but I would like it to be better. I would like the Greek community to be stronger. I would like the Sigmas to be included. Like I don't want there to be this weird division or every time we have an event where we have to have like a pretty serious conversation and open up that floor for different discussions, it goes south and nothing gets accomplished or people feel uncomfortable or next thing you know, you just have people talking about, they don't even want to be in Greek life anymore because that's how upsetting what happened was. Um, Stetson needs to be better with accountability for sure in a lot of different ways. Like even from my own experiences uh, with Stetson and dealing with some stuff that I've dealt with on this campus, it literally goes under the rug or they try to make it feel like, oh, well, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. But it is like it's a big deal when people don't want to be on the campus anymore because there's no accountability. 
You know, and that reminds me of something that happened yesterday at the president's meeting, Jasmine, you know, people being like, oh, I don't see the big deal of this. Um, and just kind of seeing how not taking accountability can lead to like a sense of privilege and a sense of like, oh, everything's fine. Um, one person, when we were talking about, you know, talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and how to mandate it and talk about it in different disciplines because, you know, talking about it in your discipline can make you realize it more directly that it's a problem. And one of the people were like, oh, well, I don't see how this is related to business. I don't see how this is related to um, certain disciplines. And, you know, from, he was white. So like, he may have a limited view of that. But if you kind of think about business, it is definitely like, very related to business, you know, think about redlining, think about where like your business is within that red line. Um, that can just say that could determine so much about, um, you know, like the success of your business, who goes to your business, how much like people are willing to give money to your business. Um, even like from my own experience um, with Publix, I worked at two different Publixes, one where there were more black people in the area. And now I work at the one in Deland where there are more white people in the area. The quality in seafood departments between those two stores, I'm not kidding, is massive. And the one with more black people in the area, the case is smaller, our fish isn't that good. Um, we have to hide certain stuff because of like, I it just it's just very uncomfortable and um and even the managers are just like oh we don't care like it's just like they get what they get and they don't throw a fit whereas like with the white more white publics like it's cleaner there it's nicer there we have much more access to more foods that we could give to people and it's just sad seeing the disparity between these two different areas and how redlining in of itself and like the demographics of your population really impact the care that a business is given. So yes, businesses are impacted by race and so are so many other disciplines and like people need to know about that. Oh, for sure. I totally agree with that. Um, like before I came to Stetson, even like growing up, cause I mean, I live in Atlanta um, and I didn't grow up, like, as a kid, I didn't grow up in the best area, just to, just to kind of, like, blanket that part, but I didn't grow up in the best area, so um, when I was growing up, my mom always told me that there are two odds against me. One, I'm a woman, <laughs> and two, I'm Black, so the odds are already not in my favor, um, so with me being a history major, I kind of learn all the different aspects and things that go into a lot of the disparities that happen amongst minority communities. Um, it is very sad because like historically, I mean, they, it's been a goal to keep African-American populations and communities at a disadvantage. Um, and I know that's like a concept that a lot of people don't understand. Um, not because they can't understand it, but most of the time because they don't want to understand it. It's always like, oh, well, you know, maybe if you guys just work harder, you wouldn't have this problem. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't get it. When the odds are stacked against you and everything that happens in your community is meant to keep you at a disadvantage, you're gonna do the easiest thing to get where you're trying to go, whether it be legal or not. Um, so when I came to Stetson, I did not know a single person on this campus because I don't live in Florida. I had no friends here in Florida. I was brand new to this campus. Um, and my mom was like, you do know you're going to a private PWI, right? And I was like, oh, I know. I'm fully aware. Like, fully aware. I chose Stetson. I know. But I didn't know the lack of accountability Stetson had until I started getting more involved on campus. Then that's when I started learning things. Um, I mean, I've had maybe this, I think this was either my first or second year here. Like, I had an experience where... Um, I took a class called African and Asian Imperialism. And I was, it was myself and another girl. We were the only two black kids in this class. Um, and there was one student who felt comfortable and bold enough to be like, you know, you should know all this stuff. You're black. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know I'm black, but I don't know. Um, so 
just seeing how a lot of people come into an environment with like that level of ignorance, but they're so close-minded and not willing to hear or learn anything else when it comes to someone else's experience. Um, and even when you do call them out, they're like, oh, I don't see what the big deal is. And that's why I think it's so important to have the conversation of just because you aren't offended doesn't mean that someone else isn't offended. Just because you don't get why it's offensive doesn't mean that it's not offensive. Um, so I think that's like another conversation that has to be had too, because a lot of people only see themselves and don't see the bigger picture. Right, exactly. Um, I remember in the wake of the Zoom incident, I was having a conversation with someone about it and pretty much just, I was laying out everything to this person that racism in Greek life exists. It's very much in so many ways, a culture that perpetuates it. And they were just like, no, how, how do you respond to that? Honestly, um, <laughs> I still haven't figured out how to respond to that because that's happened to me too, where someone's like, well, racism isn't real. And I'm like, what? I'm confused. What do you mean it's not real? Um, I've never figured out how to respond to it. It's always like a shocking thing to hear someone yeah. say. So I'm kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like you're, it's like you're, you, no matter how many facts, data, graphs, everything that you give, and if they just are like, nah, it doesn't exist, th there's no way for you to really proceed. I mean, you kind of just sit there and you're just like, all right, you have a nice day. I, I got some other things to do because it's so weird. But like, it's not something you just hear someone say every day. So you're just kind of like, do I, do I help them? Do I try to give them the reality or do I just walk away? And even sometimes when you do present them with all the information, they're like, well, I just don't see it. Well, of course you don't, because I, I think another part of that too is a lot of, there are people who don't experience it. So they don't think it exists because it hasn't happened to them. And I'm just like, I'm glad you haven't experienced it. But at the same time, it happens. It's the reality of the world that we live in. It's absolutely horrible. But you cannot come up to someone and say, yeah, it's not real. When it's real. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's, all right, so let's, let's talk about how Greek organizations should take the initiative to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion into their philanthropic work because philanthropies have like a lot, have a good amount of impact on people and they have a good amount of, and if you don't do philanthropy right, you're only really benefiting certain groups of people and it's, you can't be exclusionary in your philanthropy work. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as the Chief External Affairs Officer of Cap Alpha Theta, I am the manager of all that we do philanthropy-wise. So our philanthropy is court-appointed special advocates, which is how it is known nationally, or guardian ad litem, or GAL in Florida. And basically, the um, I'll get into the diversity equity um, in a bit, um, but just to kind of introduce it a little bit, uh, this whole organization is dedicated to providing a legal representative to children in foster care when they are trying to get their needs, their um, uh, whatever they need through court and stuff because oftentimes there's stuff with custody. Um, there's oftentimes, you know, trying to make sure that the kid has enough food, water, shelter, clothes, school, um, being able to get uh, special programs like band camp, any other thing to really help them achieve the dreams that, you know, a lot of us outside of foster care get to just do on our own, uh, making sure that they still have a normal, happy, healthy childhood. And usually that guardian ad litem or that CASA volunteer is really helpful to uh, create those long-lasting trustful relationships between the adult and the child uh, to ensure proper uh, child psychology, which you can learn about in one of our philanthropy weeks coming up next week. But going off of diversity, I know I see Jasmine like, whoop, whoop, I am super excited. Um, but going back to diversity, equity, inclusion, especially with 
Casagal, you find out that like oftentimes in foster care that there are a lot of um, black people, there's Hispanic people, Asian people in um, foster care, but in the past, the majority of foster children who receive help are white. And looking at past CASA volunteers, um, a majority of them are white as well. And right now, CASA Gal is going through these initiatives to increase the number of CASA volunteers of different minority groups to ensure that with those foster children who are in other minority groups, that they have those guardians um, who are like them, who you know can help them and present their needs, who um, share their experiences to ensure that they have that connection with their guardian to have all their needs supported in court. And um, another thing is with guardian ad litem is um, they're trying to do other initiatives. Like I know they're trying to increase their connections with um, minority groups, you know, more referrals of uh, black, Asian, Hispanic foster children to ensure that they have GAL and CASA uh, services so that we are not disproportionately just supporting white children and having just white CASA volunteers, which I think is really cool about CASA GAL because, you know, with a lot of philanthropies, you kind of find out that I don't want to be um, cynical, but a lot of philanthropies exist when the government fails them. And I feel that in, you know, with certain philanthropies, they kind of perpetuate negative systems in society um, and kind of provide band-aid solutions to certain things. But I think GAL is one of the few exceptions to that, where they're really trying to get representatives for um, people in court to have the government be able to provide those needs um, because the government has the money, the government has the resources. Now it's time to get that representative to get those needs in court and to make sure that they have happy, healthy uh, childhoods. And I know with other sororities on campus, they are trying to find a way to improve upon diversity, equity, and inclusion and how it relates to theirs. Because, you know, as we have talked about earlier, there are groups who are disproportionately hurt because of businesses, because of um, certain parts of society that you may not think of, but they are. And I know, um, Jasmine, if you would like to talk about it a little bit more too, um, just making sure that we understand how deep these issues run in our society. Um, so personal experience and historical experience. Okay, so I know for specifically low-income African-American communities, um, the access to one proper health care, even proper education is very limited because they are low-income areas. Um, oftentimes the state will only provide limited, and I use limited lightly because usually it's hardly any proper funding um, in these communities. Um, so what ends up happening is like if you get hurt and you don't have health insurance, I mean, you can go to the ER, but you're still going to get a bill in the mail. And if you already don't have money for health insurance, you're not going to have money to consistently go to the hospital to make sure that you're healthy and make sure that you're okay. Um, another thing is for parents or families who do have kids and don't have a lot of money, especially within low income areas, they end up relying on the government for assistance. Um, and the concept of welfare is actually historically associated with African-Americans because of, what's the easiest way to explain this? Mostly because of how welfare really started, they just attached it to African-Americans automatically and said, okay, African-Americans, they obviously need help. So we're gonna provide them with this help and this assistance from us as a way to keep them in their low income areas and not really try to seek out additional opportunities. Um, resources that you might find in other more um, wealthier areas are not offered to low income areas among African-Americans. Um, they usually have a public school that doesn't have proper funding, proper resources, or even enough teachers even um, to properly educate them. So then you find 
students who aren't going to college or who aren't graduating high school because they're getting caught up in other aspects of whatever is offered, um, which is usually how that cycle continues to circulate around because the resources that you find everywhere else or in other non-minority communities aren't offered to low-income African-American communities. Um, that's why I say it's so important to understand the walks of life that people come from because low-income areas do not get the same opportunities as others. Um, they usually don't build up in the areas they leave it the same. Um, if they do build up, it's usually because they're, I can't remember the proper term for it, but they're pretty much re-gentrifying. There we go the area so that way more white people can move into the areas and they're pushing black people out of their homes. And they already don't have the money or the proper funds to go anywhere. So you just see this constant cycle of one kid's not being able to have access to adequate food, shelter, health care. So they end up being on the street or end up having to finding a homeless shelter to go to. Um, or they just have to live on the street simply because they don't have access to those resources because the government isn't providing that for them. Um, the government's definition of providing resources, let's give them welfare and that's it. There is no access to adequate housing or adequate food or other adequate resources to make sure that those in minority low-income low areas actually have a chance to succeed. Yeah, and you definitely noticed that. I remember watching a video where someone's like, okay, well, let's go through a low-income area and let's go through a high-income area. In the high-income area, like you like you go through like the area, like through a housing area and right next to the housing area is a grocery store. And then like you have like some fast food restaurants that are there, but like the, the key point is the grocery store is right there. It's very close to you. And you know, that means healthy foods are available to you. Now compare that to the low income area in that same video, it took a way longer time to get to the grocery store, but there were McDonald's as there were Popeyes's, there were, um, what else were Burger Kings. There were so many, different like little fast food areas that were like there um like close to the low income area but you had to drive like I think at least like five miles to get to the grocery store and you know of course um it's cheaper to get the fast food areas and it's closer so more people eat there and thus that means more people in low income like their health is impacted too and that leads to how like certain groups are negatively impacted in public health. They have less access to healthy food. And like Jasmine was saying, less access to healthcare because you know they've already been screwed over economically and it's hard to cover medical bills. And you know, sometimes you see in philanthropies, um, you know, like with Casa Gal in the past, they had more of that problem and they're trying to fix it. And I'm not sure about some of the other philanthropies, but I've seen for at least some medical stuff, I don't want to diss any outright, but a lot of the children that you do see them marketing to be helped, a lot of them are white, um, particularly for Hatter Thought. I don't want to, I don't know the exact statistics and like I can totally be corrected, but a lot of the children I see being helped by Hatterthon in their marketing. There are few minority kids, but a majority of them are white. And I think that we just need to keep in mind like who we are helping, make sure that like Jasmine said, we are aware of people's experiences and really trying to get as many referrals as possible to help a variety of minority groups rather than just, you know, the white majority. Yeah, also too, um, this is kind of more towards like the education, educational like lack of resource for um, students who are minorities. If you guys have never seen a movie called Freedom Riders, 10 out of 10 recommend it. It's a really good movie. Um, yeah, see, Lou knows it, um, but it's about um, this Caucasian, it's actually based on a true story. Um, it's about a Caucasian teacher who ends up teaching in a low income area at a public high school. Um, the students that she are that she's teaching, they are minorities. And it basically tells the story of how one teacher that came in and said, hey, let me try to give you adequate resources and really help you succeed, change every single student's life in there because they live in low-income areas. So it's very easy to walk down the street and find someone selling drugs than it is to find a library with 
really good books or um, finding a grocery store with healthier food options or just finding a center for kids to just have fun and meet other kids their age. It's easier to fall into more of the illegal traps than it is to fall into something more constructive because of the area that they're in. So this teacher, she basically gave them a journal and every day they would read a book and they would write about it. And she did this activity with them where they were all standing in the classroom and she would say like a certain statement and you would come to the middle if you if it applied to you or if it didn't apply to you, you stay where you were. Um, I'm not gonna tell you the whole movie, just watch it, it's really good. Pretty sure it's on Netflix, um, but seeing how when one person decides to say, okay, I notice they don't have the resources. I notice that they're in an area where the resources are not readily accessible to them. Like if you go to a lot of income areas of minorities, there are not a lot of libraries at all. And if there are libraries, they're not in the most safest area or they don't have as much as you would see other libraries have. Um, they don't have a lot of community centers. I know community centers are super helpful, especially for kids who are more likely to get into a lot of trouble. Um, but when you actually sit down and talk to a lot of kids, you find out that the reason for them getting into trouble has nothing to do with them wanting to be troublemakers. It has everything to do with they're living in a home that they're not happy in. They've either lost one or both of their parents or their parents are incarcerated. Um, they don't have access to resources. They're struggling in school because they can't understand it. And every time they ask for help, they can't get it because the school doesn't have tutors. Um, so just like being aware of how every single life experience of kids affects them as they get older. Um, because when you're a young kid, it becomes normal to you once you constantly see something. So you think that that's how it's supposed to happen or that's how it's supposed to work. until so someone comes along and says, hey, let me offer you this resource. Let me help you out. Um, so that's always something to keep in mind, especially when we're talking about different minority groups, because there are a lot of low income areas and there aren't enough resources. And before making the statement of, oh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't apply. It doesn't affect them. It does. So when you see a lot of people making decisions that aren't necessarily what we deem as right, um, you have to think about, okay, where did they grow up? What resources did they have? Like, what, did they have parents? Did they grow up in the system? Because there are a lot of kids who do grow up in the foster system and they get out and like, that's it. I mean, they don't have resources. So making sure that we're keeping that in mind and having those conversations when we talk about our philanthropies, we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion before passing judgment, making sure you know where they come from and how it's affected them all the way up until their adulthood. And you know, that's interesting you mentioned that Jasmine because right now there is being a statute that is trying to be passed right now that's trying to get rid of gals for um, children tenant up. And I think that is really concerning because one, you know, a lot of children, if you talk to them really have strong connections with their gal and their custom volunteers. And just to kind of see that taken away um, just for like, a court, you know, specialist or something, you know, something way less personable. And, you know, how is that going to build trust um, with the kid and with the world and stuff, especially after being handled, handed so much stuff in their childhood from socioeconomic stress to uh, personal stress to school stress, so much stuff. Like they need the adult to really trust in order to really develop into healthy people, which is why I'm gonna start um, talking about our philanthropy week uh, next week because it kind of relates to that. So our philanthropy week is from April 13th through April 15th. Uh, we will have tabling from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, all three of those days. On our first day, we're gonna have a witch spirit day from 12 to nine, which is a long time, so you better come. And 10% of all the um, pro products, uh, wow, words, <laughs> products purchased on that day at WITS will be do donated directly to the state gal office. None of it will be used for any of Kappa Alpha Theta's gain. It will be purely for um, the state gal office. Additionally, on Wednesday is the big psychology for the child event where we talk about the importance of developing those healthy relationships between adults and children 
to um, make sure that they grow up into happy, successful people and inspire children when they are older to be happy and healthy as well. Um, and we go into trust, um, what else, uh, attachment, uh, all that good stuff. You'll see it when you go. It's culture credit. It's with Dr. Barzilai. She's amazing. Go for it. And of course, painting under the twin stars on April 14th from 5 to 8 p.m. We will have four 30-minute sessions. It's going to be a painting with a twist style event. It is $10 for chapter tickets if 30% or more of your chapter purchases tickets, and it's $15 general admission uh, for the experience to get to paint this beautiful painting with our instructor, CJ, who is super awesome. And uh, if you do the hashtag um, painting under the twin stars and tag um, at Stetson Theta on Instagram, you have the chance to win a $20 gift card to Wits Frozen Custard, which is super cool. So if you want to get some free gift cards and um, want a really cool experience where you get to learn how to paint with CJ and you get to hang with the Thetas, like come for us, all right? So um, thank you guys so much for your time. And Jasmine, you are a gem as always. It's so nice to talk to you. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, Lou. And Joseph, thank you again for having us. This has been great. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. This was, this was fun. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Lou and Jasmine for coming on to the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at 2024 underscore podcast. Our Twitter is at 2024 pod. Our Facebook is 2024, the class of activism. Our editor and producer is Grace Herzog. Our graphic designer is Cass Bradley. Our social media coordinator is Hunter Asme. Our policy specialists are Katie Kraft and Jada Hunter. Our legal analyst is Dee Huey. And the intro and outro song is by Joe Kim Karud. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.